good to be with you. Uh, I'm uh, going to show you a video, and uh, not just yet. I, I trust it's there to be seen. It has been there to be seen, but I'm, yep, good. So I'm going to show you a video, a little bit of a trigger warning. I'm never sure how many... I, I have a very poor ability at assessing whether things are freaking people out or not. Right? So I, I've shown pictures of surgeries that I've gone through thinking this is awesome, and people have fainted. So I, I'm not good at this, right? So just to... I think this might freak some people out, but I'd be surprised. We'll see who's really weak amongst us. <laughs> but I'm going to pray. See, I've just done it then. How about I, how about I pray? Father, we, uh, we thank you for the blessing it is to be together. And uh, we are conscious that what we're doing here together is a very serious thing. And we ask, please, for hearts and minds that are attentive, uh, but also engaged and uh, aware of the world around us. And we, we pray, please, that tonight might change us, might grow us to be more like Christ to live lives that do please you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, watch the video. Or not. Is anyone, is anyone struggling? <laughs> Everything's all right? Good, all right. Talk to me later about it, if you need some therapy. It, um, but there you go. I mean, I don't want to make light of a very serious issue, which is life and death. Uh, but nonetheless, there's a, a way that one company has captured something of the essence of life, and I think they ran it for a little while and then had to take it off as an ad because people complained about it so much. But we're all okay, good. Um, but what you get there is this picture of life, which is life short, play hard. You, you, you're born, you're ejected <laughs> into, into life and existence, you cruise through the atmosphere, screaming all the way, ageing, 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 and then it's over. If that's what life is like, then with these few short years, make the most of it. Play lots of Xbox. Yeah, thanks, Hazy. <laughs> You've been very engaged tonight. It's good. We have been swamped with this message. You may, I mean, I am only just old enough to know that things have changed, right? Some of you haven't. This is all you've been experiencing. But the last decades, bunch of decades, we've been swamped with this message that there's nothing beyond this life. There's nothing out there. This is it. Uh, it's only these few years. Uh, YOLO. You, you guys invented that word, YOLO. You only live once. Uh, this life's short. Pursue everything you want in life. Do everything you can to get the best life you can. Pursue, dream big dreams. Uh, pursue your dreams. Don't let anyone get in the way of your dreams. Travel. Make sure you get out there and experience life, that you go and see all the places that you wished you could, uh, you hear about, you, you've got friends who talk to you about. Go and do that kind of backpacker thing for a whole year and just get out and get away because you only live once. You've got to go and enjoy it. Get the awesome girlfriend. Um, 
Go and get Jacob's tips on how to get that girl. And, but get the best girl you can. Get the best guy you can. Um, make sure you get a partner in life. Don't be alone, all these kinds of things. Get the most satisfying job. Get the course that actually sets you up for the most satisfying. Invest money. Invest your properties. Um, build a great family. Build everything around the dreams that you want. Follow your dreams. Don't settle for second best. You've only got one life. This is it. Make the most of it. Get a bucket list. Get a list of things that you want to do before you die and make sure you go through them and tick them all off one by one. Or just go drop out. Go drop out and live in a commune somewhere or a simple bush life or a country beach area and just be simple and relaxed. But whatever you do, find what really gets your your life going. Find out what that is and go and do it because you only live once. Is this ringing bells? You've heard this before. And if there is nothing beyond, not only should you pursue your dream, but make sure you don't do anything that actually undermines your life as a flourishing experience. Don't put up with anything difficult. Don't uh, do anything that's less than satisfying. Chuck out everything out of your life that doesn't uh, kind of prod joy and produce joy. Get rid of those things. Don't st- if you get married, don't stick with an unsatisfying marriage. Because you've only got one life, you don't want to be stuck with a marriage partner who's going to bring you down. So don't stay with it. Find a new person. Move on. Love's what matters. Don't commit to things that are hard yakka that you don't enjoy doing. Don't invest in something and be committed week in, week out to a grinding thing that you just have to keep turning up for. Be free so that you can be spontaneous and move with whatever comes your way. That's the best way to live life. Don't sacrifice your health, whatever you do, because your health is the most important thing you've got in life. Don't sacrifice that. Make sure that you get lots of me time. You do you time, and but do me time. Ringing any bills? This is all because you've only got these few short years. Life is short. Live hard. Live good. Pursue it. Make the most of it. Do you feel this? Do you, does this sound like what you pick up? Uh, TV, movies, social media, friends, courses you're in. It makes perfect sense. I, I, I talk that language and I'm just picking up what I pick up people saying, actually. It makes perfect sense. If there's nothing beyond this life, if there's no resurrection, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. Well, tonight, the Bible's got some shock therapy for us. It'll be happy therapy, but it'll be shock therapy. It'll give us the life of someone, we've had it read for us, the life of someone who lived a totally different experience of life, shaped by very different convictions and very different beliefs and values, which made his life very different from what you'd see in our current cultural context. So grab your Bibles, let me show you this and give you a sense of it. Come back to chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, open up your Bibles... Let me give you an introduction quickly again to the Apostle Paul, verse 1. He's the one who writes this letter to the church of God in Corinth. That's your quick orientation. 2,000 years ago, this is a real man writing to real people in the city of Corinth. He then shares verse 8 and 9 about how difficult his life has been. He doesn't want them to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, We were under great pressure. He lived under this pressure, beyond our ability to endure, we despaired of life itself. We had received the sentence of death. This is Paul sharing with the Corinthians how difficult life has been. If you come across to chapter 4, you'll get another quick little sense of it. 
uh, verse 7, uh, verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side. This is the man who, would, uh, who talks in chapter 11 later about uh, we were in trouble in the country, we were in trouble in the cities. Every town we went to, we, we were beaten, we were battered, we were stoned, we were left for dead, we were flogged, we were shipwrecked. He goes through the list of difficulties he experienced. We were hard-pressed on every side. We were... Um, we were not crushed though, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down. But you see, struck down, persecuted, perplexed, hard-pressed. This is a man who lived a very difficult life. It was tough. Now he did this, he lived this kind of life, not because he was a masochist, not because he loved hard things, he was just that kind of guy who really wanted to beat himself up. No, he loved life and he wasn't interested certainly in the bucket list Christian life. Though he did, I always find this odd, he did missionary work around the Mediterranean, the Greek islands, which sounds pretty attractive to me, but I think he spent most of his time in prison on each of those islands, so it was a very difficult time. The point, though, is he actually, he, everywhere he went, it was difficult, it was painful, it was hurt, and he kept doing it. Why? Well... I want to suggest very briefly just now, we'll come back to this, because he loves life. He loved life for other people. And because he loved life for other people, he embraced pain for himself to bring life to other people. But we'll come back to that in a moment. But how, what, was he able, what was able to keep him going in all of this? How, did he, how, did, how was he able to be hard-pressed but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair? Well, that's what this section of the Bible is talking about. If, you, if you've got your Bible there, um, uh, you... you Pick up there in verse chapter 4, um, uh, uh, verse uh, 16. We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. That's the theme that the Apostle Paul talks about all the way through this section of the Bible. He's able to actually engage with all these things, not be destroyed, continue to have courage and not lose heart. If you want... If you want insights in how it is you can live this sacrificial life and be sustained, it's all the way through here. But why I want to talk to you about something slightly differently. I want to deal with that, how you continue in a difficult life context. But I want to pay attention to something particularly. Three features of his life, three convictions, three beliefs, that not only sustained him in the difficulties, but actually caused him to press into them. To live a very different life than the ones we do today. Let me give you the first one. It was his grasp of the unseen future glory. Have a look at verse 18. Verse 16. Chapter 4. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You've got a man who's talking about his outward life, wasting away. And there's a sense in which what he talks about his outward life, he's referring, yes, to the physical body. And um, some of you are already experiencing this. Do you, I don't know if you work this out, but you rot before you ripen. Do you know I mean, as a person, before you've actually come to your prime, you're starting to go down. I was in church this morning and I saw some, a couple walk in and I thought, wow, you've gotten old. They were 40 or something like this. But uh, people age quickly and start to decline and you will feel it all around you. Paul is talking about that, outwardly wasting away. I think he's talking about a little bit more than that. 
I think he's talking about not only the physical wasting away, just the degrading of the body, the joints that get harder and so on. I think he's talking about the, the emotions, the psychology of a human. Uh, what he really is talking about is the life of a person in this age. All that you are in this age. And I think he's doing that because you'll notice he says inwardly, verse 16, yet inwardly we're being renewed. What does he mean by inwardly? I don't just mean his emotions. I think he's talking, verse 17, achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. His eyes are fixed not just within, but on what's unseen, the eternal glory to come, which he now, by the Holy Spirit, you get this in chapter 5, verse 5, which he now by the Holy Spirit has been raised up to be part of. This new world age, an age that will last forever. And I think what he's offering is that uh, that which is part of this age is wasting, but there's a part of him, call it his soul. His soul that has been raised with Christ into the heavenlies and is now with him into eternity. And that part of him is being renewed. And he's growing. And he's being transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's almost like he thinks of himself as a, you know, a, um, have you seen those high-rise buildings where you, people put scaffolding around this building site and around the scaffolding they put hessian so you can't see what's going on inside. And behind the, the hessian is this building that's slowly being built up. And over the, the kind of months and perhaps years of this building, you see the hessian grey and rip and rot and behind it though there's this magnificent new building emerging I think that's a bit of what Paul's saying I think he's saying this earthly life here and now you know my body my memory my emotions all the different parts of me that are the hessian and the scaffolding wasting away but God is doing this thing to my soul inside it all that's in the heavenlies with God and he's, he's doing this thing in them that we're being transformed and we're, we're growing and, and one day we'll be released to be in the eternal realm to come. I think that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Now what keeps him going in the midst of the degrading of his body, the hessian, the scaffolding? Focusing on that. That while this is happening, there's something within the soul is being raised up. It's a powerfully important truth, but as powerful as it is, I, I want to draw attention to a, one particular thing out of this, which is this. Paul is convinced there is an age to come that's eternal. Paul's convinced there's an age to come which is glorious and that this life is not it. This is not all there is. And I want us to drink deeply of that for a moment. Paul is focused on what is unseen and what is unseen is an eternal glory that far outweighs this experience and I want us to drink deeply of that. Do you believe it? Are you convinced there is an age, a life to come? It's why he can say the sufferings that he's going through are momentary and light. Because by comparison, these sufferings are as nothing compared to what's to come eternally. 
But if this is all you have, if this life is all, if, if life is short, play hard and all you've got is this, then to be stuck with something that's difficult in this life is heartbreaking. To have a relationship that doesn't work is heartbreaking because this is the only life I've got. But if there's a life to come that's eternal, Paul was able to deal with the knocks. He was able to focus on what was lasting. Now, you get a sense of this if you reflect on childbirth. Now, I'm going to share a, a thing that I don't know much about and you don't know much about, most of you, although you've all been born, but you don't know much about the experience of a mother, but you'll pick this up pretty quick. My observation of mums, people, women who get pregnant and then have a child, is it's very painful. It, um, it has beautiful moments where they glow and there's something wonderful about having a life that grows within a person, but there's morning sickness, months of waking up and vomiting, 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 and it's just, it's just deadly and destructive. I've seen it happen again and again. And as the pregnancy goes on, the joint, this is really encouraging young women to, as the joints go on, as the months go on, the joints start to sort of break apart because the baby's taking up space and your hips and everything hurt and it's hard later when the summer comes to lie and be comfortable. I'm just looking at, is, am I on the right track here, mum? Yeah, I'm just sort of mum. It is a very, very painful process. Then you've got to give birth to this watermelon that's inside you. And, um, and passing a watermelon is, is quite an exercise in itself and painful. Um, but here's the thing. Look, I just, it, just to say at that point... Um, Women amongst us, there's, there's an honour. You, you need to be in awe of anyone who has gone through this process. It's just what they do for life is extraordinary. But here's the thing. When a woman has a child in her arms, when there's this new life there, it's almost as if they've forgotten everything that's happened. Because within a week, they're planning the next one. Two Two months? A month. There you go. You're on to your next. Okay. But there, it's, it's an extraordinary thing, and I'll tell you why. Because the glory to come, the life that comes from all of this pain, puts the pain in perspective. Yeah, it's light, it's difficult, it was, but it's light and motivated. Now, there's a sense in which what God is doing is bringing birth to us into eternity. And the birth pains, the life process to get there. When we get there, we'll look back and think it was all light and momentary. It was worth it. None of it was wasted. You know, the main point for us tonight, the main point for him was that he fixes his eyes on that eternal glory and it sustains him through the pain and circumstances. The main point for us is that he has this deep sense that there is a future glory. That this life isn't it. Now you think about this with me. Just take a moment. If you could be completely convinced that this life was just momentary, there's an eternal life to come that's full of glory, how would that change your life today? I want to come back to this, but how would your life change today if you were convinced that this was a moment in the context of God's eternal plan for you? How would it change? Don't say anything. See, there's the first one I want to draw your attention to from this passage, that Paul is convinced that this life isn't it. There's an eternal glory to come that transforms the way you think about everything. First thing. Second thing. 
When you go through the next part, chapter 5, you'll find that he actually describes this future glory as an embodied one, a physical experience. Because there's a sense in which, as he says this, I'm focusing on what's unseen, there's a sense in which he's conscious that people might hear him saying, oh, are you saying that there'll be this release from the body and I'll be a spirit into eternity wafting around in the heavens? And Paul goes, whoa, whoa, I don't mean that. And just to clarify that, chapter 5, we begins talking about the physicality of the future. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And so what he does here is he, he talks about the fact that we are embodied people now. He uses the language of a tent. We have This body is our tent. And one day when, when Christ returns at an event called the Parousia, you get this described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, at the trumpet, at the, the sound of the, the blast, our bodies will be transformed, we'll have a new eternal body. What he's saying here is that when you get into this eternal place with the return of Christ, you will be an embodied person. You won't be a spiritless, you won't be a spirit without body, you'll be a body thing. And he's saying this because back in the ancient world, as there is amongst us today, there are people who thought that the real human you was your spirit and the body was just a cloak that you wear. And so this is not me, many people think. The real me is in here, the spirit. And heaven will be that place where this body is removed and it'll be the real me. Paul says, no, 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 no. We'll be in eternity with a new body, physical, a glorious, immortal body, uh, imperishable, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, a glory of its own, but bodies. We will walk around together in heaven on a new creation, on a new heavens and a new earth, which will be a physical thing, glorious, transformed in a wonderful way. Um, And the Apostle Paul, I think, is helpful in drawing our attentions to this. We will be given a new body, which will be be one, he says, um, not built by human hands. Neither was this one, but I think that's code for given to us by God, imperishable, immortal, uh, never to fade and die. This tent is just a fragile, um, uh, um, temporary thing, but we'll have a building that will last forever. Um, And the point is, the eternal life to come is an embodied one, it's a physical one. Humans are made to be clothed in a body. We aren't just spirits. Now, does this help you think about the future? I think it does. The future will be solid. The future age that's glorious is real, it's tangible. We'll have bodies, new bodies, on an earth that's a new creation... We'll move amongst and together with each other. And if you follow this through further, this is how it plays out for you. You, you, you know, that might be, there might be that country you've always wanted to visit, that mountain range, the, the, the Swiss Alps or something like this. You'd love to go and adventure and visit this place. But here's the deal. It'll be there in heaven. Just transformed to even be more glorious. Why do you need to visit it now when it'll be there forever? you see that that wave that you've always wanted to ride on that island in the middle of the Indian Ocean that's where I tend to think you know what it'll be there in heaven just more glorious without sharks or with sharks but they're friendly sharks it'll just be (laughs) and and you'll be glorious to be and 
Now, there's talk about not being an ocean in heaven. Some people talk like that. It's rubbish. There'll be, it'll, be, it'll be a perfected wave and so on. Or, or that stream or that clearing or that sunset that you just rejoice and wish you could spend more time at. It'll be there. More glorious. The future age will be substantial and real. Why have a bucket list as a Christian? I don't know if you know much about this, but people do this. They work out what's the top 10 things they want to do before they die. Christians ought not be caught up in this. Because we've got an eternity to go through our bucket list. You won't miss out. Now there's Paul's second point. The first point is that there's an eternal glorious future awaiting, which changes the way he thinks about life. It's an embodied future, glorious physical thing that he's looking forward to but that future physicality has a twist to it and I just want to I want to go on to the third point about the nature of this future age but I want to deal with this twist before we get there because it intensifies the third point I want to make Um, but I am going to suggest if you're finding it hard to concentrate and you need a bit of a mental rest you can take a break now because you if you don't get this next couple of minutes that's okay right But I want you to, if you can, stick your mind in and think about this. The little twist about this future bodied existence is caught up with the idea, verse 3, of being naked. Do you see he says there, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Now I'm going to explain what the naked idea is. And as I say, if you can't keep it with us, that's okay. But try and stick in if you can. Now, when Paul talks about naked here, There are two very popular ideas at the least uh, that people kind of think this must mean. They're the kind of first thought ideas you have when you read the idea of being naked here. Many people immediately imagine what he's talking about is he's talking about this human body as really a kind of nakedness waiting for his heavenly body which will be clothed. That's a kind of a quick first thought way of reading this. Some people think it might be him being unforgiven. He doesn't want to be found naked, unforgiven. And some people even connect it back to Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 1 and 2 and the nakedness of the, uh, Adam and Eve. But I want to suggest to you what he's talking about being naked. When he means naked, he's referring to a, an existence of a human without their physical earthly body, this tent, or their heavenly body. So we're clothed in a tent now, this physical body. One day we'll be clothed in the heavenly And when he's talking about being found naked, I want to suggest to you he's talking about an existence where you've lost this one in death and not yet received the eternal one with the return of Christ. Because when you add 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, the the changing into the, the heavenly building is with the last trumpet blast at the return of Christ, the event called the Perusia. Now, what he's talking about here is that it's possible to die before the return of Christ and so be in what's called an intermediate state where you've not got the heavenly body yet, you're a spirit, disembodied. It's a little like Revelation chapter 6 where there's some spirits under the altar crying out to God, how long, O Lord? And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And that experience of being unclothed being naked is for Paul he doesn't want that experience it's it's to be less than human in a sense because humans are made to have a body and what he wishes for what he would long for 
uh, is verse 4, while we're in this tent we groan in a burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, to go through death and lose our body before the return of Christ. We do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with the heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And the idea here is a, a big fish, the heavenly body fish, coming and swallowing up this earthly body, the mortal body, without me ever having to go through death, without me ever having to die, lose this body and not get the next one. But rather what he wants is that for Christ to return before he dies. So that Christ returns before he dies and swallows up with the new life. So he never loses, never dies. That's what he wants. I think that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Now, if you're not convinced and you're not sure that's the case, that's okay. Happy to differ on this one. Um, But I'm suggesting Paul doesn't want to go through this intermediate state. He wants Christ to return so that he's overclothed by this new body. This is important, I think, to pay attention to because it helps intensify his third point. First point, there is an eternal glory, this life's not it. Second point, it will be an embodied existence, physical. Third point, that future eternal glory will be personal. It'll be personal. Look at verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Because where is the Lord? In eternity, in the new age, the age we're not in yet, except by the Spirit. And so he wants to be with the Lord. Verse 7, for we live by faith, not sight. That is, we live by merely trusting the words of God from a distance, the words of our Saviour from a distance. We can't see him. We just hear of him. He speaks to us through the Scriptures. But that's our exp- We live by faith, not sight. And he wants to live by sight. We are confident, verse 8, and I say we'd prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Here's the key verse. He would rather be away from the body, be naked in this intermediate state where the parousia has not occurred yet and he's lost his, his physical body. He'd rather be in that state, even though he doesn't like it, because it means he'll be with his Lord ushered immediately into the presence of the Lord upon death with his Lord. And he says, I would rather so much more to be with the Lord that I'd even go through death to get there. If I could choose to do that, of course, which you ought not. But his future hope is personal. It's to be with Jesus. It's not just the hope of the mountain range or the great surf or the friends I'm reunited with or the health. It's to be with his Lord. It's a personal hope. We live by faith, not sight. And so we long for the sight experience. And this this is where I think the shock therapy comes for us tonight. And I want to raise a question with you. And I want to do this with compassion and care. But think with me about this. Those of you who are followers of Christ, Christians, how much does being with Jesus figure in your hope as a Christian? How much do you think about my longing to be in the presence of Jesus? To see him, to walk with him. 
Have you ever felt a sense of loss that you are at home in the body and so away from the Lord? Has that ever disturbed you? Now, I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us would say, I've not even thought about it. Now, I don't think that means you're not a Christian. It might. Because we're saved by grace. We're saved by the great mercy of God who says anyone who looks to Jesus, who puts their trust in him and his merits for you, his death on a cross for you, his righteousness covers you, you're forgiven, you're reconciled, you're safe by the Holy Spirit now present in you. And so we're not saved by how much we feel about Jesus. We're not saved by how deeply we want to be with. That doesn't save us. He saves us by his grace. So if you've never felt this kind of feeling... I'm not saying you're condemned because of that. But what I am saying is there's something deficient in your faith. Have you ever longed to be with the person of Jesus? You know, it's possible to have a very doctrinaire faith as a Christian. What I mean by doctrinaire is that you hear the truths of the gospel, you hear that there's a heaven and a hell and you hear that the only hope of escaping hell and God's judgment is trusting in the merits of Jesus, his death in your place and you, you say, I want that Lord Jesus and you come in under his authority and you say, you're mine. That, you can tick all of those boxes and say, I'm saved because I believe these truths and you will be. If you genuinely believe these things and embrace the Lord as Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you're saved. But I want you to notice Paul's faith is personal. He hears not just of what this man has done for him, but he hears of Jesus as his saviour, as his Lord. And he is one who knows this Lord and saviour. His unseen Lord is real to him. By faith, not sight, but his unreal Lord, his unseen Lord is real to him. He knows the person of Jesus and he trusts the person of Jesus and he wants to be with Jesus. Which kind of faith do you have? Is it a doctrinaire faith where I just believe facts or are you captured by the person of Jesus? Now, I think this matters in all kinds of ways. Look at verse 9 now. Because the apostle has a personal hope about the coming Lord Jesus, he makes it his goal to please Jesus, whether we are at home in the body, here on earth, or away from it, with him in heaven. His goal is to please his Lord, not just obey some commandments, but actually please his Lord. His concern is personal. Is this how your life as a Christian runs? Are you conscious of wanting to please the person, Jesus? Or are you concerned to fit in with rules and regulations? Are you looking forward to being with your Lord and Saviour? Or are you looking forward just to getting away from a world that's painful for you? Now again, I don't want to beat you up with this. If you trust in the Lord and his merits on your behalf and you've got got a a very um, embryonic experience of whoEsus is as a person, that's okay. You don't go to hell because you haven't got all that Paul had in his experience. But what I'm saying is it's an embryonic faith that needs to grow. Make it your goal to please him because 
More intensely, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What he's talking about in verse 10 is a judgment, judgment seat of Christ. I take it it's not the judgment about whether you're in the kingdom of God or not, heaven or hell. I think what he's talking about is for those who are followers of Christ, saved people, going to heaven people, there's a family judgment. And we'll be called to account for how much we've paid attention to pleasing our Lord or whether we've just been complacent towards him. Have you pleased your Lord? Again, I don't want to beat you up about this. We are saved by the grace of God, not by how much you feel and how intense your longings are. But Christianity isn't a formula, it's a person who is real, who is substantial, who is physical, who has looked you in the eye and said, I love you. I gave my life for you. I want you with me in eternity. I have died for you. Live for me. I will judge you one day about whether you have lived a life seeking to please me or not. Not so that you're saved by what you do, you're saved by what I've done for you, but having been saved by what I've done for you, what are you doing to reflect that truth in your life? Now let's step back. Do you see how this is shock therapy for us? This is so very often different to the way the world around us thinks, isn't it? The world around us and much Christianity sometimes um, thinks about this life as just this life. This is all we have. But what we have here is someone who sees that there's an eternal glory to come. This life's not it. And that that's a solid, substantial life. And that it's a personal life. There's a Lord and Saviour waiting for us there. This is a very different way of thinking about things. And I want you to spend some time now just reflecting on your own. And then I'm going to ask you to share. But I want you to reflect on your own just for a moment. If you, if, if you truly believe these things, how would it change your life? If you were truly captivated by eternal glory to come, this life's just a moment, that it's a physical, substantial life, that it's a personal life, that it's the Lord Jesus where to please, how, how would that change your life? How would that change a person's life? Take 30 seconds to think on it. Just on your own. Now I want you to share with one or two people around you. How might this change someone's life, if you're not kind of ready to be vulnerable about your own life, but how might it change you? How might it change things? Go for it. Just a minute.
All right, let's, let's see if you've got some thoughts to share with all of us. Um, just tell us what your friend just said. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, yeah, how might this change someone's life? If you, if you actually really believe that this life is just a moment in an eternal thing that's physical, that's going to be with the Lord Jesus, how might that change things? Give us some thoughts. Yeah, if if I'm if I'm if it's genuinely the case that this is just a moment and eternity's coming and the only hope of being in that eternal future is being with the Lord Jesus by his merits, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? I want to tell my friends. I want to persuade those around me. And if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Christ, we want to persuade you that if these things are true, they deeply and profoundly matter for you and your future. Life matters. This is your only hope, Jesus. Yeah, you want to talk to your friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, If this life's just a moment and I see someone wobbling as a Christian and beginning to drift off and away from the things of Christ, wow, could there be anything more serious that could happen to a person? To have tasted of the heavenly gift and they're given up. No, I, 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 I deeply want to pray for them and, and come alongside them and with grace and wisdom and care and work with them to understand what's happening and nurture and nourish them back into the faith, yeah. You see, how you, what's, what you're reflecting here is that there's a couple of sets of priorities that have shifted massively, haven't they? If these things are true, then what really matters is that you're in Christ and you stay in Christ. What else changes? You want to make sure you're investing life in what matters. Um, So if I could just tap that into, uh, what matters is that we make it our goal to please him. So investing in what matters is finding out what he thinks I should invest in. What are the most important things that he thinks I can give myself to? Because my life is now about pleasing my Lord, that I'll have to stand before one day and give an account for the life I've lived as his person. Yeah, profoundly different. I think I saw another hand behind me. Yeah. Yeah. No, ah, good, good, good. Yeah, come with me to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. Look at verse uh, 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they did not. Those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as though not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Apostle Paul has a profoundly different grasp of eternity and reality. And he says, um, do you know, 
you get married, he actually says, that's a good thing, that's a blessing, that's a great thing. Being single is a good thing, a better thing actually, but he says, you get married, that's a great thing. But, but what, he, he would never buy into the idea that life is now about me and my partner being the best we could ever be together. Love your, husband, your wife like Christ loves the church. Die for her. But don't make your marriage the centre of your existence. Because these things pass away. I mean, you, you get the balance I'm trying to rest with. Love and love one another and honour one another, of course. But don't live for your marriage because the things of this world are passing away. And don't buy something in such a way that it takes hold of you. So I think the house, don't go and buy a house that's so costly and expensive that you're going to be, spend your life captured by the mortgage and so on. Now there's some realities that are emerging about the cost of housing and so on and it's not a simple thing. But just be cautious that you don't go and buy things in the way the world buys things because this world's passing away. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah, uh, let all of this shape your prayer life so that you're not, just, you're not just praying about good things, thanking God, though you must, you ought, of course, but you're actually you're directing your prayers towards the missionary endeavour, uh, towards um, serving of others, growing the kingdom. There's all sorts of... The Lord's Prayer is now your prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let people come to find forgiveness. You see, that's the Lord's Prayer now, yeah. Changes that. Any any final thoughts? Do you get? Yeah. Oh yes. Be- beautiful thing to finish with. Thank you. So it puts your present struggles in perspective. It's so helpful. Look, if you've, there are so many amongst us struggling with mental health issues, and and the the, the distress and the despair and the hurt and grief. Um, this is not a simple answer to it, but what, what it can help with is just to lift you up and see, um, this is for a time, it can feel like it's forever, but this is for a time, the Lord God has you in his hands, he has a future for you that is renewed and eternal and glorious, with your Lord, find hope now. Be sustained now in the midst of that. Gain perspective about things now, of course. You've had someone die who's close to you. There's all kinds of things that will come. Find great hope in all of this. Can I encourage you to, therefore, to step into, to step into harder things? What I mean by this, um, the Apostle Paul went around the Mediterranean doing, doing things that caused great cost to himself. Why? Because he was committed to life, life in others. He was prepared to endure death for himself to bring life to others. Give yourself to committing to other people for their good. Give yourself to committing to ministries and serving. That will cost you because that's the only way that you'll bring life to others. There is no other way in this world to bring good and life to others except by bearing a cost yourself. Bear it. Because life comes through it. And you've got eternity to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do uh, just recognise the, um, the challenges that all of this is to us. And we are so grateful that we're saved by grace and grace alone. We thank you that we are not saved by how good we are at all of this. 
Thank you for the kindness you bring us in Christ. But thank you too that that stirs us to see in that context of being forgiven and restored into relationship with you, uh, that you transform and change us to be people who now see the world differently. That this is just a moment. Help us please capture that greatly and profoundly. Bring wisdom to all of that. We do need work. We need house. We need these things. But help us not be engrossed by them. Help us to pray differently. Help us to make different choices that honour and please you. Help us to be captivated by pleasing you. Let us be different, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.